Return to the Word is made possible by faithful supporters like you. Find out more at returntotheword.com. Welcome to another edition of Return to the Word Radio with Bible teacher Mark Fontecchio. Advancing the message of God's amazing grace through the teaching of God's Word. And now with today's message, here is our teacher. This morning is our final study in Philippians. We do have a lot of ground to cover, but never fear because it does move fast. And we are about to find out that Paul still has some more things to say about our growth in Jesus Christ. I think we have a hard lesson in the text this morning. I really do. It's a lesson for those who are looking to mature in Christ. Would you join me one last time in Philippians 4? A church was looking to add on to their building, but they didn't have enough money. So they did what a lot of churches do. They had one of those pledge drives to see if they could raise enough money for the building. But this pastor, I like his thinking, he took it to a whole new level. He wanted to see the whole church give and not just 10% of the church give. He wanted to see everyone give. So he called in an electrician and he wired up the seats. And then when it was time to take up the offering, he announced to the congregation all the pledges to the building fund will be made publicly in the worship service. And then he added, all those who will pledge $10 a week, please stand. And at that exact moment, a switch was thrown, and that switch sent electricity through the wires into the pews. And the response was just immediate. I mean, about half the congregation jumped up to their feet. Then the pastor said, all those who will pledge $20 a week, please stand. And as he said it, one of the ushers raised up the voltage And the second and more powerful shock even caused more people to stand. And the whole process was repeated several more times. Each time the amount of money was raised and so was the voltage. And the ushers were running around trying to frantically get all the names and pledges written down. And then later after the service, the pastor and the staff were all busy adding up the totals and boasting about their great success of what they've done until the head usher came in and announced that four people had been stubborn about it and had remained in their seats the whole time and were still there and they'd been electrocuted. First time I told that was in 2004 and the congregation was sitting in metal seats. I'll never forget one of our, our contractors got up in the middle of it and started looking underneath. I don't think he trusted me. So be thankful that you belong to a church that believes in grace. But it is true, we will say this, it is true that some Christians refuse to give back to God no matter what. I think they have a heart issue a lack of trust in God with their bank account. Now, I do not want you to misunderstand me this morning. This is not a sermon about money. As much as it is a sermon about a heart check, it's about the attitude of the heart and learning to be content in Jesus Christ. I'm not looking for your pocketbook, but I am looking for you to consider whether or not you have taken up the mindset of Jesus Christ and how you live. Are you able to join with the Apostle Paul when he says in our text, I have learned in whatever state I am 
to be content. You see, there's a deeper issue here. It's about learning to live for Jesus Christ, a learned obedience to Christ because we live by the new life given to us. So Paul starts first by talking about the generous life. And he says to the church at Philippi in verse 10, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. See, the church at Philippi had supported Paul in his mission work. Epaphroditus had brought the gift to Paul. He was the messenger. And what we're looking at is Paul's thank you note. Paul is showing his gratitude. But if you look at this note, he doesn't tell them how much the gift helped him. He tells the church how much it helped them to give. Let's skip down to verse 17 for a second. Look at what it says. It says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account, to your account. You see, he's saying when they gave, there was fruit that increased to their credit. The same thing is true for everyone who gives. Paul was more concerned about their spiritual growth in the grace of God than he was about money. Their reward would be in glory. You know, it reminds me a little bit of the time when a group of Christian businessmen met for prayer. An evangelist, D.L. Moody, he overheard them praying for a special need of $1,500 for a church. And D.L. Moody, he walked in and he interrupted the prayer meeting and said this. He said, men, stop asking God for money. All of you can easily write a check for this amount right now. Write the check and begin praising God. The secret to contentment is not hoarding, but using what God has given you for his glory. See, God is keeping track in heaven of those that have a giving and grateful heart. Know that when you give your time or your money to the work of the Lord, God is keeping a record of that in heaven. So notice the wording in verse 10. Your care for me has flourished again. The picture is actually of a plant shooting up again, you know, like they do in springtime. How many of you are looking forward to spring? I am right about now. So that's the picture of a plant shooting up like they do in the spring, and everything is just in full bloom. It had been 10 years since Paul first started the church at Philippi. They had supported Paul before. And Paul knew they cared, but they didn't have the opportunity. Why? Why couldn't they help Paul? before. Well, he was in prison for one thing. That's hard to help a guy when he's in prison. Paul had been shipwrecked. That's hard to help a guy when he's shipwrecked. And the distance between them was great. So the opportunity to support Paul had not been there. Paul said he rejoiced greatly in the Lord over their gift. You see, that's what should happen when God's people give. It should lead others to rejoice, to praise God that we are not alone in the work of God. And there are others who will stand with us. There are others who believe the word of God. There are others who believe the Bible and want to live it out because of God's grace pouring through them. The generosity of God's people all over the world is such a powerful witness to the love of Christ. And it brings honor and it brings glory to the Lord. Notice Paul says to them, starting in verse 11, he says, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. 
I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, these verses should have a direct impact on every single day of your life. Verse 13 is a verse that is crying out to be put into context. So please follow the argument that starts in verse 11. Paul says in verse 11, I had a need. He needed the gift that he'd been given. But this was not his primary concern. And the reason is because Paul had learned to be content with whatever God had provided. Contentment, I honestly believe, is one of the hardest lessons there is to learn in the Christian faith. But notice carefully what Paul says. He says, I have learned. Paul had to learn. Paul, the Apostle Paul, had to learn how to be content. He had to learn this lesson, that whatever state he was in, he was to be content. You see, there are some things in life you cannot change. It is useless to argue against the sovereign will of God. Paul knew what it was to be without, and Paul knew how to abound. He learned to be full, and Paul learned to be hungry, to abound and to suffer in need. Paul had learned to be content with both because he knew the riches that he had in Christ Jesus. Both the rich man and the poor man have their battles. Think of Proverbs 30. It teaches us this. It says, two things I request of you. Deprive me not before I die. Remove falsehood and lies far from me. Give me, watch this, neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. You know, we have a hard time with this. But in our land and in our time, prosperity has done more damage to believers than hardship. You know, over the last 125 years, we've lost what it means to be content. In the year 1900, less than 10% of all families owned a stove or even had electricity or phones. In 1915, less than 10% of all families owned a car. In 1930, less than 10% of families owned a clothes dryer. 1945, less than 10% owned air conditioning. 1960, less than 10% of families owned a dishwasher or color TV. In 1975, less than 10% of families owned a microwave. I remember when we got our first microwave. It was a glorious event. In 1990, less than 10% of families had a cell phone or access to the internet. Now today, we have all these things, and some might argue that they make our lives better, but for some people, no matter how much we have, it's never enough. Paul says, I've learned. I have learned, Christians. I've learned to be full, and I've learned to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer in need. Now, Paul uses a word here, a different word for learned in verse 12. It was a word that was used by the pagan religions referring to being initiated into the inner secrets of their religion. 
See, Paul is saying, I've been initiated. I had to learn the secret to contentment in the Christian life. I had to learn it. He didn't lose faith when he slept on the hard ground as a missionary with an empty stomach. And when he was allowed to stay in a comfortable home, receiving hot meals every day and a warm bed each night, glory to God, Paul didn't forget that God is the source of all things. So how could Paul do it? It was Jesus Christ who gave Paul the power to be content. Paul depended upon Christ. It came from being eternally united with the God who is all-sufficient. Paul was boasting in the strength of God in our lives. Contentment is really just the fruit of walking with Christ, living according to his will for your life. It's peace in your life. God is capable of all things, but the context of this bumper sticker verse is that God is able to make us content no matter if we are rich or poor by his power living in us. That is what Paul is telling us, that when life situations change, it's still possible to be content in Christ. What did Job say so long ago? The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. If you put all your happiness, and if you get your identity from a job, from a career, from your family, whatever it is, when that job ends, or whatever that station in life is at, and when that ends, so does your joy. But see, Christians, when your contentment is found in Jesus Christ, your joy never has to end, does it? Because the contentment that God provides is the God-given ability to be satisfied with His loving provision in every situation. Paul had to learn this. Acts 14 tells us that he had been stoned and dragged out of a city. Acts 16, beaten and thrown into jail. The Jews were always plotting against him. He knew what prison looked like. He knew what close encounters with death were like. Five times he had received the 39 lashings from the Jews. Three times Paul says, I was beaten with rods. Paul had been shipwrecked. He once spent a night and a day in the water. He faced death death everywhere he looked on every side from people trying to rob him from the Jews from the Gentiles and even he says from false brethren Paul says in 2nd Corinthians 11 he was often without sleep he was hungry he says he was thirsty and he was cold and in the midst of all those things Paul says I learned Christians how to be content these are the lessons that I'm not sure you and I can learn because we live in the land of the wealthy. Many years ago, in the early 1920s, some of the wealthiest people in the country met at this place, the Edgewater Beach Hotel in Chicago. Now, I'm not talking about just some people who are a little better off than most of us. I'm talking about the cream of the crop in the country. These were the elite in the entire country. These were the richest in personal wealth and in their financial holdings. They controlled, at the time, more money than what was in the national treasury. Their influence upon the country was enormous. 25 years after their meeting, their lives were tracked to see what had become of them. One of them, a man who had made millions speculating on wheat futures, had died completely in debt. 
The president of the nation's largest independent steel company had died broke. The president of the New York Stock Exchange had been just released from prison. And a member of the cabinet in the Harding administration, after being let out of prison for health reasons, had died at home. And two of the men, a Wall Street investor and a leader of a powerful company, had both died by suicide. Why? Because, listen, all of these men had learned how to make big money, but not a one of them had learned to live in Jesus Christ. Paul knew how to live in good times and the bad because his strength and his identification was in Jesus Christ. Paul told young Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, now godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And Paul, he told the church at Philippi, he had learned to be content. And can I remind you that the Apostle Paul is writing this about contentment under arrest for the gospel and chained to Roman soldiers. When Paul is saying everywhere and in all things I have learned, he's saying that I have learned in Christ is that the circumstances can never touch me again because my identification with Christ is what is important. Bit by bit, test by test, circumstance by circumstance, Paul had learned that contentment does not come easy. It is something that must be learned. People think today that if they switch jobs, switch homes, churches, if you switch churches, or even the state they live in, that that's going to make us content. Here's the problem. We bring ourselves with. We bring our own problems with us. You can't escape yourself. Paul looked to Christ. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is contentment in the person of Christ himself. This is the strength that enables us to live in the place that God has put us and to sit there and be content in his will. Whatever God has for you, Christian, whatever God is calling you to, he will enable you by his strength to accomplish it. This is not a promise that God is going to give you unlimited power to do whatever you want. He will give you his strength in the context of his will for you. Paul had confidence that no matter the circumstance, Christ would give him the strength to meet it. Paul tells us here that we can find contentment because no matter what is going on in our lives and no matter how much the people around us fall and fail in their lives, there's always going to be a small group of believers all throughout the world banding together to advance the work of Jesus Christ. Verse 14, Nevertheless, You've done well that you shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again 
for my necessities. Paul is rejoicing, celebrating that the church had also learned to be content. It was obvious because their hearts were centered on helping Paul spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not of God, Christians. It's not of God to sit there and care very little for the work of God going forward. Paul is saying to the church, you shared my troubles. And in verse 15, he says, no other church stepped forward and partnered with Paul for the gospel. Only this church at Philippi. Now this was back. He's referring back about 10 years before when Paul first had preached the gospel to them. They were the only ones at that time to support him. Brand new Christians then. Because even the brand new Christian should learn how to give. And then in verse 16, Paul is saying, this same church gave to him more than once when he was at Thessalonica. They gave to help his needs. Even Paul had needs. These Christians shared his troubles. They shared his victories. They shared his ministry. When Paul led someone to Jesus Christ, their giving made them a part of it. When Paul planted a church, they were part of the work by supporting him. And when Paul stood before kings, their prayers and support meant that they stood by him. Too many Christians today have taken on the mindset of the woman who at Thanksgiving had called the Butterball Turkey Hotline. Did you know there is such a thing? There is. They set up this number for people like me to answer questions for people about cooking their turkeys. Well, one woman called in about cooking a turkey that had been in the bottom of her freezer. Take a guess at how long? How long? 23 years. That's one stale turkey. Well, the turkey hotline told her that if the freezer had been kept below zero for the entire 23 years, it'd probably be safe-ish to eat. But they did warn her that even if the turkey was safe to eat, the flavors would have gone seriously downhill and that they would not recommend eating it. So how did the lady calling in respond? She said, that's exactly what I thought. We'll give the turkey to our church. True story. 23 years sitting in the bottom of the freezer. Can I suggest to you guys that that kind of mindset is not partnering with Jesus Christ for the work of the gospel? It should be an honor for us all to share in the work of Christ. See, Paul knew that this church stood with him even at his lowest points. Here comes Paul's most important concern, starting in verse 17. He says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I'm full, having received from Epaphroditus the thing sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Any man serving Christ with the right heart should be able to echo the words of Paul in verse 17. I'm not looking for a gift, but I'm looking for the fruit that abounds to your account. And then in verse 18, Paul tells them, I've received a full payment and even more, meaning that the gifts brought by Epaphroditus had fully met his needs. But then look at what he tells them in verse 18. Paul considered their giving to be a sacrificial offering to God. 
telling us that this type of giving pleases God because it comes from the grateful and obedient heart of the believer in Christ. See, God doesn't want your 23-year-old turkey. And God doesn't want you to give because you feel guilty. That you feel so guilty that you need to give. He wants his people to look at the work of Christ and saying, I am redeemed. I have been saved by Christ. I need to support his work. And he tells the church in verse 19, his God would do what no man can do. God would reimburse them for their generosity to Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to track with me carefully on the rest of our text. The implication here is that these Christians at Philippi had given Paul so much that they had left themselves without, meaning they were now the ones in need. They had given so much, they were now the poor ones. We don't give like that, do we? We don't give like that. But there's a promise here. That as a Christian, if you are generous in your giving to the work of the Lord, God will meet your needs. Proverbs 19, 17. He who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord and he will pay back what he's given. Now, it's not a formula. Don't give to God just to see what you can get from him. It doesn't work like that. Paul is telling us Christ is seated in glory and his riches assure us that even when we give, he can meet our needs according to his riches. You know, there are some who say, and there's a lot actually who say this in the church, I can't afford to give. I have too many bills to pay, too many mouths to feed, too many needs of my own. And I'm telling you, Christian, you can't afford not to give. Because God promises to supply the needs of his people when they give. I don't believe verse 19 is a promise to every Christian who just does whatever they want. I believe verse 19 is a promise for God's people who give. You see, if you haven't made faithful giving a part of your life, don't claim verse 19. Don't do it. If you don't want to put God first, then don't be surprised when God actually takes an issue with it. We've been taught in this world to hold on to our money as tight as we can, as if our safety and security is found in our money, how much money we can get in our bank account. And the more afraid we are, the more insecure in our position in Christ, the tighter we grab onto it. Be a good steward. Save up for a rainy day. Live below your means, but only, Christian, after you have put God first, because our safety and our security is found in Him and Him alone. And giving is an act of worship. We give out of love for God. Paul doesn't say God will supply everything we think we need. Oh, I wish He did. That'd be awesome, wouldn't it? I'd be on Amazon later this afternoon. Wouldn't you? He doesn't say that. Paul says God will supply our needs. When the child of God is in the will of God, serving for the glory of God, then he will have every need met. Or as Hudson Taylor used to say, he said it like this, when God's work is done in God's way for God's glory, it will not lack for God's supply. Paul doesn't say that God will supply out of his riches, but according to his riches, meaning he owns it all. Why? Because he created it all, and out of his abundant wealth, he would provide for their needs. 
We cannot begin to comprehend the riches of, of God in glory. It is from that storehouse that the needs of his people are met. Paul is telling the church, you met my need out of poverty. God will supply your needs out of his riches in glory. How beautiful is that? And so no wonder Paul broke out here in a word of praise in verse 20 by saying, now to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. In September of 1939, German troops invaded Poland. And a 15-year-old girl, Gerda Wiseman, and her family, there she is, she survived in a Jewish ghetto until June of 1942. And that's when young Gerda was torn from her mother, kicking and screaming, and her mother, Helene, was sent to a death camp. And Gerda would spend three years in a Nazi concentration camp, followed by a 350-mile death march that she somehow survived. By the time she was liberated by American troops, Gerda, she was a 68-pound skeleton. 68 pounds. And what is the most surprising love story I've ever read about? Young Gerda actually married the soldier who found her, Lieutenant Kurt Klein. How neat is that? The Holocaust Memorial. This is the Holocaust Memorial in Boston, Massachusetts. It's made up of those six glass towers that stand up vertical there in the sky, and they represent the six extermination camps where six million Jews lost their lives. Five towers tell the story of the cruelty and the suffering, but the sixth tower, it stands there as a testimony of hope and inscribed on this sixth tower is a short story titled One Raspberry, written by Gerda, who, by the way, is still alive. She's in her middle to upper 90s now. In her words, listen to what she wrote. She said, Ilsa, a childhood friend of mine, once found a raspberry in the camp and carried it in her pocket all day to present to me that night on a leaf. Imagine a world where your entire possession is one raspberry and you give it to your friend. It was a bright spark on a dark night in a Nazi labor camp. Ilsa had found the berry in a ditch on her way to the factory where the two teenage girls worked. She kept that precious fruit, and I want to know how she didn't smush it, but she kept that fruit in her pocket all day, giving it to Gerda that night after Gerda had just been beaten by the guards. The true measure of a gift is what you give up in order to give it. One raspberry is not much, unless that's all you have. Then that one raspberry becomes everything. It's powerful when we're on the receiving end, but it's even more wonderful, Christians, when we're on the giving end. And the church at Philippi had sacrificed to give to support Paul and his work for Christ. They had given what little they had. And along the way, what did they find? They found contentment and they found the wonderful promise that God would meet their needs. To be content is not something that comes easy. Paul had to learn it. Paul said life is a school. It's a classroom, and it is only through the long process of living and wrestling with all the difficulties in life that I have finally come to the point, he said, of realizing that I have learned as a Christian to be content. I would recommend this, that if you want to learn contentment, make a habit of saying thank you. You've got food. 
you've got clothes, and you have a church family that loves you more than you will ever know, get up and thank God for that. In every moment, Christians, that we are tempted to be disgruntled because of something else we want, take that moment as an opportunity to sit there and just thank God for what you do have. Remember that everything belongs to God. What we have is a gift from Him. Be thankful for what we have, not always wanting or craving more. That is a sign of immaturity. Ask God for wisdom. To use everything He's entrusted to us with wisdom. Knowing that we're just stewards. We're just passing through. And knowing that our ultimate purpose in life is to live for Him. Ask God for His strength. And then trust in God to meet our needs because we have learned to give. Paul closed Philippians by writing, Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Return to the Word Ministries is committed to teaching the full counsel of God's Word and the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more about our ministry, please visit returntotheword.com. Return to the Word is a faith ministry. This means we freely distribute the teaching of the Word of God over the air and online. We do this without charge. If you feel led to support the ministry with a donation to help cover these costs, you may do so on our website, returntotheword.com, or by mailing a donation to Return to the Word, P.O. Box 879259, Wasilla, Alaska, 99687. Thanks for listening, and we pray that the Word of God will be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. Join us next time for another edition of Return to the Word.